is good, everybody. Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast on the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. If you're new to the show, you get the hot takes, mostly from me, and the cold truth, mostly from the human wet blanket, Levin Black, about everything going on with the Niners. What's going on, Levin? Not a whole lot, but uh, we might have roles reversed in this episode. Uh-oh. There's a lot pissing me off. <laughs> that, that's the way I like to start a show. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. It's more one person in particular, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, you're not alone in that. I think Kyle Shanahan is going to be on that list. We're going to talk about Shanahan and what's happening or not happening with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Uh, We're going to get into the usage for Trey Lance, the running back situation, which keeps getting more interesting as they keep making additions to the squad here. And we're going to talk with a friend of mine, Aton Shander from Bleeding Green Nation, our Philadelphia Eagles community, kind of get the scouting report on Philly, what he's thinking going into the game. Always like to go behind enemy lines a little bit. Uh, Before we get started, just remind everybody, please follow, subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. We always do appreciate those. All right, Levin, Kyle Shanahan spoke uh, today is Wednesday as we were recording this, and he was asked for the third straight time in front of the media, basically about the whole Trent Sherfield, Brandon Ayuk situation. I didn't like his comments. Here's what he said. Anytime you, you do have a setback with hamstring and you have a guy behind you playing as well as Trent's played. Um, you know, I know Trent wasn't a first round draft pick and stuff, so that might not be as obvious with the talent level and stuff, but he's been a hell of a football player since he's been here. Um, um, Ayuk's been a little inconsistent because he's been in and out with his injury and stuff, and that's what we felt was the best chance for us this week. Uh, Last week, Ayuk still has got a chance to get that spot up and not rotate as much. Trent just doesn't make that very easy. Um, So these three days are important in practice, how we balance out our game plan, how we balance out our routes, and um, I'm I'm happy with Ayuk. There's nothing against Ayuk. I'm just also happy with Trent, too, and I think both of them can, can Continue to get better. This is my problem with everything Kyle is saying about this, Levin. It doesn't mesh with reality. He keeps talking about it as if it's just a question of the injury. But when you see what he actually did in the game, he let Ayuk return punts. And if a guy's dealing with an injury and just had a setback, as Kyle just said in that clip, why are you giving him additional duty? Why are you playing him almost as much as Trent Sherfield? It doesn't mesh with reality. And it bugs me that Kyle thinks that we can't see that. I, like when I, when I saw Ayuk wasn't, wasn't starting, I thought, okay, maybe he's more injured than letting on. But then, like you said, he returned that punt. So that goes out the window. It's not that he was more injured than previously reported. So the issue becomes what happened. And there really hasn't been a logical answer. Kyle can say, well, he's just, you know, he's missed some time. Okay, he, he was missing time anyways. He missed time last year as a rookie and still got to be a starter the moment he was healthy because guess what? He was clearly the best receiver when healthy. He had a really, really good rookie year. And in preseason, we've only seen him be exactly what we thought he would be. He was the number one receiver on the depth chart all preseason. He was treated like the number one in every practice report we saw. Every practice report we saw Ayuk was having a really good practice. There were multiple times that he had a long touchdown reception that was talked about in the media. So what is going on that he suddenly lost his starting gig and that he's got a split time? And to me, I I have to tie it back to Sermon as well. Sermon went from number two on the depth chart 
Nobody thought he was going to be inactive to suddenly being inactive out of the blue. To me, something happened with those two, whether they missed a curfew or something, because it doesn't add up to what we saw in preseason, in practice reports, or anything else. This is why I don't understand, though, Levin. Kyle Shanahan, I feel like, is making this a bigger issue than it needs to be, right? Why didn't he get up in front of the media and say, you know what? Trent's outplayed Ayuk. That's why he started. Then it's like, okay. Then it goes to Ayuk, right? The focus goes on, hey, he's not working hard enough in practice. He's obviously not doing what he needs to do. Instead of this whole, like, well, he's injured, but he also needs to play better. And also Trent's really good. Like, just say he got outplayed. Same thing with Sermon, right? He broke team rules. He missed curfew. Done. Then you're like, then people are crediting Kyle for not bending to players that are not following the rules, right? But instead, he doesn't do that. He just makes it seem like Trent, uh, like Trey Sermon's not any good, which, by the way, is an indictment of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch because you picked this guy in the third round and you traded up to do it. Yeah, and they traded up to draft Ayuk too in the first round. So that could be an indictment too. If he's not starting year two due to a, I believe, Sherfield was undrafted a handful of years ago. I can't remember if he was a late round pick or not. Um, but he was a free agent ad and not a big free agent ad. And yet I can't beat him out. That That's an indictment to take him in the first round if that's what's really going on. But I don't think it is because we saw in preseason, you know, he, he had issues with drops. There's no denying that. And if that's why he didn't start, say it. It's not a big right. deal to say, hey, this guy who had very public drops in preseason games isn't starting because he's dropping the balls in practice. That's not a big deal to say. So if that's the case, then that's legit. But it doesn't seem to be the case. And in preseason, what did we see? Him get wide open on uh, Trey Lance's very first pass attempt. You know, the one that he dropped on the sideline. We saw him be wide open when Jimmy overthrew him. And I do put that one a little bit more on Jimmy than Ayuk because Jimmy literally made Ayuk jump to his full extension and barely get fingertips on it. But he was open down the field. And he was open a, co- a couple other Who did Kyle times. blame for that interception? Ayuk. Which is like, what? Like, that? so that just goes to show, like, I feel like so, maybe he's not practicing hard. Maybe he's not blocking. I don't know. But something is fishy there. Right. And that, that's what it is. Something is fishy. We don't know what it is, mainly because Kyle won't volunteer the info and the media won't press him on it. Like, let's be honest here. It, his, what he has said about, about Ayuk would not fly in New York would not fly in Philly, would not fly in most NFL cities, in my opinion, because they would keep asking follow-up questions until they paint him in the corner. It's pretty easy to paint him in the corner by continuing to ask him and narrowing the field. It's literally something you're taught when you go to school for this. You know, I, I went to school for it. You're taught to, if you don't get the answer that you want at first and you think that they're just dodging the question, ask it again in a different way and keep narrowing down the field to where they get stuck in a corner and they got to tell the truth. And nobody's doing that. It's it's extremely frustrating because it's so obvious that he's trying to talk out of both sides of his mouth. That's the part that's annoying. And anybody that brings it up, like I bring it up, I've written about it on Niners Nation, and people are like, oh, you're too negative. You're making something out of, you know, a controversy out of something that's not there. You're just going for clicks. It's like, this is, it's obvious here. Like you could push your head in the sand if you don't want to believe it. But you can't tell me that it's all about his hamstring when you're throwing him out there for punt return duty. Like, that's just – those two things do not make sense. It, both of those two things cannot be true at the same time. So one of them has to be not true. And all we're trying to do is figure out which one is which. Luckily, Levin, Trent Sherfield's actually playing pretty well, so I don't think it's hurt the offense too much. 
we don't know. I mean, we don't know what Ayuk would have done if he was truly involved in the offense. And the thing I find really interesting and to me more damning than anything else in terms of showing the truth of the matter, Ayuk and Sherfield ended up running about the same number of plays as each other. Sherfield had one more play. Right. But Ayuk didn't get a single target. Now, we're either going to consider Kyle Shanahan a genius offensively or we're going to try to be a hypocrite here. Because I've seen some fans try to say, well, you know, maybe he just wasn't getting open. No, Kyle, if he wants a player to get the ball, he gets the player the ball. He has run rush plays for Ayuk to get him the ball in the past. He actually did that in the preseason. The first preseason game, Ayuk had a run. He has uh, done, you know, screens. He'll do short slants. He'll do plays where he knows the player is going to get open. He'll do misdirection and leak that player out to get him the ball. And like we saw in preseason, he was getting open when he runs routes. What it tells me, and I haven't been able to go look at it because the NFL won't upload the damn (laughs) all 22. I literally checked right before we recorded because I wanted to see some more, and it's still not up. But that's a different matter of the NFL flat-out line that would be ready for preseason. But the thing is, is I would – all but guarantee guarantee Ayuk was not among the progressions or was very, very low down on the progressions. And that's how Kyle makes sure he doesn't get any targets. It, it's strange to me. I think Kyle is tougher on wide receivers because Kyle was a wide receiver in college at Texas. So not I only think- that, th- sorry, I want to make this point because I've seen a lot of people say that because most people know he was a wide receiver in college, but not only was a wide receiver in college, he was a wide receiver that made it to a top program due to his work ethic, because he was not athletically gifted. And I think he takes that as a matter of pride, and I think that's a lot of how he, why he treats receivers the way he does, because he's somebody that athletically wasn't gifted that was able to get to Texas due to his work ethic. And when he sees somebody that is crazy athletically gifted, like Ayuk, not put in that same effort, it pisses him off. And if Ayuk is not putting in that effort, then he shouldn't start, like – but again, just say that if you're Kyle Shanahan, and I feel like it'll be better for everybody. And I'm just confused by the fact that he doesn't. Isn't it weird that we're in week two and like nobody's really talking that much about Jimmy Garoppolo all of a sudden? It's Ayuk, it's the running situation, it's Verrett not being there, obviously, for another year. But like, no one, you, you go to like Google Trends, for example, and you check what people are looking for for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo's name does not appear. How long has it been since that's been the case? Well, he literally had his most efficient and, in my opinion, best game as a 49er. It is better than any other game he had, in my opinion. He had 314 yards on 25 pass attempts. He was highly efficient. He was making the right decisions on where to throw the ball. And he was, uh, in my opinion, the best pocket presence I have seen uh, since he's been a Niner. He avoided a lot of rushes. He showed off mobility. And he just yes. legitimately looked like a good quarterback. The thing, a couple of things I liked in that game, and I talked about it in the instant reaction podcast that we did. I love that Kyle put the ball in his hands. Kyle went out of his way to call timeouts on defense at the end of the half when the Lions had the ball to ensure that Garoppolo would have a little time to play with. The Niners would get one final drive. And he put the ball in his hands and they went right down the field and they kicked a field goal. I think there was like two seconds left on the clock when the field goal went in. I love the confidence that Kyle showed in Jimmy. And you're right. He did move around the pocket in a way that we haven't seen, especially, and I I swear I could swear I saw the wheels turning in Jimmy's head on the third down play that Debo fumbles. Hey, I think it's hasty, misses his block. 
He he tries to take out a blitzer. He misses the block. So the blitzer's coming. Jimmy avoids him. And it was like slow motion as I'm watching it. He I, I felt like he was thinking in his head, do I just take the sack and keep the clock running? Or do I throw this ball and try and get a first down? And I felt like he thought about it and he saw Debo and he chucked it and he was on the move and he put the ball on the money in a perfect spot to let Debo actually run after the catch and get the first down because it was a little short of the sticks. I just, I love that Jimmy avoided the rusher, extended the play and still had the onions to throw the ball to try and get the first down to kill the game instead of just going down, taking a sack and not losing the game. You know, my favorite part of looking at the breaking down the Jimmy Garoppolo week one is the biggest criticism to him, I believe, in my opinion, is that he's scared to throw deep, that he won't throw deep. He avoids it. He dumps it off. He plays it safe all the time. You know, he's been talked about as if he's Andy Dalton out there, you know, playing it safe all the time. In week one, he threw the ball further than 10 yards down the field seven times. He completed six of them for 200 out of his 314 yards. Even if you take away the 79-yard touchdown to Debo, which skews it a little bit in terms of the yardage because it was 79 of the 200, he still averaged 20 yards per attempt 10 yards further down the field or more down the field. That is massive numbers. And to me, it almost – I'm curious to see if it continues because it almost shows – Maybe Jimmy is reacting the best possible way to having a guy push him. He is now taking risks and throwing it down the field because he knows if he doesn't, there's a guy behind him that will. Okay, well, that kind of leads me into the next thing because I'm wondering, like, how much is Trey Lance really pushing him at this point? Trey Lance had four snaps on Sunday, only one pass attempt. And I really like this question from Grant Cohen, who asked it uh, on the 13th, so a couple of days ago. He said, Lance had four snaps. How is that good for his long-term development? Is that the best way to develop him? And Kyle's answer was short and snarky. He said, I think a guy getting any playing time when he's the number two quarterback helps his development more than getting no playing time. Like, that's a bullshit answer, Kyle. Like, I'm sorry. That's bullshit. Like, it's not helping his development. And you know it's not helping his development. And after the game, Kyle said, well, I didn't even really plan for Lance to get out there. I just kind of did it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You gave up three first-round picks to get this guy to make him your franchise guy, and you don't have a plan? You're just flying by the seat of your pants? Once you draft a quarterback in the first round, regardless of if you give up any extra picks to get him, once you draft that guy, every single decision you make as a franchise has to be geared toward developing him the best and as quickly as possible. And the fact that Kyle Shanahan is just treating him as if he's like an Andy Dalton backup or just some dude that's nice to have, that worries me. There are so many different avenues I want to respond to here. First off, getting four plays, it does help him develop. It just doesn't help him develop in the sense that most of us were assuming was going to happen in that he gets legit opportunities, gets a decent bit of playing time so that eventually towards the middle of the season he can take over doesn't seem at least from week one to be the plan it seems like it is jimmy's job unless he plays his way out of it there is no trey lance can come in and in his limited time he's kyle can pick his spots which i myself said i thought that was going to be kyle's strategy that he can kind of pick trey lance's spots put him in the best possible way to make him look the best possible 
that way he could come in and there would be no question he was better and that the team would be 100% behind it. It doesn't seem like that's the plan now. Now, the other part of that is I don't agree with one thing you said there. You said once they trade up and give three first-round picks, everything has to be about what's best for that player's development. That I agree with. I don't agree with the fastest way possible. Not when you're a contending team. And the Niners are almost unique in that way. You know, there's very few, if any, I I can't remember any off the top of my head, teams that were true contenders, truly one of the most talented teams in the league, that were in a scenario where they could trade up and get a quarterback like they did. And I think that changes things. It's not what's the fastest way to develop Trey Lance. It's how can we develop him and remain a contender? You don't go to him just because you don't, you don't speed his speed him up just because you spent three first round picks on him. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, well, we're a Super Bowl contender. Oh, but also we need a better quarterback. We have to draft a rookie quarterback because the guy we have is not good enough. If the guy you have is not good enough, you're not a Super Bowl contender. And I feel like speed is an issue, Levin, because the clock is ticking on his rookie deal. And history has shown since the new CBA, since the implementation of the rookie wage scale, the way you win a Super Bowl is, You draft a quarterback in the first round. You load up the roster around him while he's on his rookie deal. And that's when you can take advantage and win a Super Bowl. Not when you have to sign that guy to a second contract. So the sand is slipping out of that hourglass with Trey Lance now. and He's on his rookie deal. So I feel like the time it takes to develop him is a factor. There there is one other way you win the Super Bowl, and that's have a quarterback named Tom Brady. But they don't have Tom Brady. (laughs) They they could have had Tom Brady. (laughs) Uh, Probably, yes. Uh, it certainly seems that they could have, but I just don't agree. I think it's different in that the reason they felt they needed, and I've said this, and I think you disagreed with me, but I said it around draft time that the reason the Niners did this is because Jimmy couldn't stay healthy. That if Jimmy had stayed healthy in 2020, they wouldn't have been trading up for a quarterback. That's not to say I think Jimmy is really good. I think Jimmy is a decent quarterback. He's an average level starter. The talent around him is good enough to where they were contending, and we know that because they made a Super Bowl with him. I don't think the Niners would have spent three first-round picks except for Jimmy was injured two out of his three years. You can't trust him to stay healthy. Thing is, while he is healthy, he's still probably the best quarterback on the team until Trey Lance has developed and learned some things. I just I don't think if if your only issue with Garoppolo is health, I think you can get a different quarterback another way than giving up three first round picks. I think you give up three first round picks because it's both injury and the level of play is not good enough. But I don't want to get too far into the Garoppolo Lance muck because we seem to find a way there every show. And and Garoppolo played really well in week one. And I want to give him credit for that. Uh, before we take a break and get to Aton Shander, let's talk about the running back situation a little bit. Elijah Mitchell is here. Trey Sermon, Kyle Shanahan said on Wednesdays, you know, going to be active this week more than likely. They signed Carrion Johnson to the practice squad. Now they've added uh, Trenton Cannon from Baltimore, who was who was on Baltimore's uh, team, and which I'm a little surprised. Like, I didn't think they needed to add another running back. I thought it would just be Mitchell and Sermon and Hasty. Like, I thought well, they'd be good. Of all teams to add a running back from, you picked the one that's lost two people to IR, but they still didn't promote this guy. We'll see. Maybe he fits this scheme better than Greg Roman's smash mouth. I don't know. I honestly don't know too much about Cannon. And I think anybody who tells you they do is probably lying. 
<laughs> but it, it's surprising that he wasn't promoted up to a team that has lost two running backs to IR. Who would you rather see get the bulk of the carries on Sunday, Mitchell or Sermon? I don't care. Whoever's most effective. <laughs> now I do own Mitchell in in fantasy now. Nobody able, cares. But nobody cares. And <laughs> I don't. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, I want to see Mitchell because I have him on my fantasy team." I don't care. Whoever's going to be the most effective. I'd like to see them. Honestly, I think they bring different things to the table, and I'd like to see them both get the ball. Now, I do feel like I have to say something here because I will toot my own horn when I'm right, <laughs> and I was definitely wrong on Mitchell, and it needs to be said. And so I am here saying I was dead fucking wrong on Mitchell because I was saying the Niners should cut him because he wasn't healthy and he wasn't able to show anything. And in the little bit of preseason action that he got at the end of that third preseason game, I didn't really see a whole lot. He didn't have the best blocking. So it looks like he just didn't have the ability to show a whole lot because what I saw on Sunday was an all around complete back. He had power. He shrugged off arm tackles. You know, he ran right through them. But then he also had speed. And we know where he ran the 4-3-2. You know, that's what he's famous for. He had power and speed, and that's pretty rare in a running back. The one thing you mentioned that I do think, I think this keeps Kyle up at night a little bit, and I think it could be an issue until these guys get more experience because they're pretty young in the backfield, is pass blocking. Jermichael Hasty had three attempts at pass blocking, and he whiffed on all of them last week. Trey Sermon, obviously, is a rookie. Mitchell's a rookie. One of the biggest adjustments for any running back coming into the league is pass blocking, figuring out where the blitzers are coming from. If there's two blitzers, which one do you take in what situation? That's stuff that comes with experience. And, you know, I know that Jimmy was a little more mobile in week one, but generally he's not a mobile guy. He depends on those on those running backs to chip and block those rushers. So that is an area where I think the 49ers could be a little bit vulnerable. And I think they are going to have to depend on those guys because Philly can get after the quarterback a little bit. Well, there's there's an adjustment. It's a painful adjustment, but there's an adjustment easily made. And that's you keep Juszczyk back because he can block. You keep Juszczyk back and you let the running backs run his routes instead. That's your adjustment. It sucks for Juice. It sucks for the fans who love to see the fullback because we're like the only team in the NFL that gets to see a fullback do anything <laughs> offensively. <laughs> but that that's your adjustment. And I think when Hasty is in, we'll probably see that because Hasty did whiff, like you said, quite often, pretty much every opportunity he had. But I would be lying if uh, I wouldn't be happy to see them sign maybe the best pass blocking running back of all time oh, in no. Frank Gore. But I don't, I don't see it. I have said numerous times on this show when it's been brought up, and I still stick to it. Frank Gord doesn't fit the running scheme. He is too slow to get to the outside at his age. And while he's effective up the gut, this is an outside running scheme. He would have some knowledge to pass along. I fully admit that. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to say? Oh, with juice in the backfield. The thing I like about that is it's not just a dead giveaway like, oh, Juice is in the backfield. They're going to pass on this play. Like, you can still hand him the ball. Like, he's versatile enough that it, it doesn't totally dictate what you have to do offensively. So maybe they, that is one thing they start to do. Oh, I just hope they don't default and start using Kittle in the backfield like they did in last year and in 2019 in some spots. That was always a horror show. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk with Aton Shander from Bleeding Green Nation. As I said, going to go behind enemy lines here to get a little scouting report i think jalen hurts is going to run around a lot i want to know if he agrees with me and how he thinks the eagles are going to attack the niners d 
back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. And now it's time to go into enemy territory a little bit, get a little scouting report on the Philadelphia Eagles from our Eagles community, Bleeding Green Nation. Aton Shander is here. What's up, Aton? Uh, gentlemen, I am thrilled and honored to be here. And hopefully you can talk me through some concerns that I have about my team, at least this weekend. <laughs> I feel like we're both nervous. I'm nervous as a 49er fan because I'm worried that Jalen Hurts is going to be running around out there making plays. I don't know why you're – why are you nervous? Well, I think it's the obvious of trying not to get ahead of yourself after one game. And to be honest, the biggest problem that I have as far as week one to week two is the difference in clearly opponent. The Atlanta Falcons, I didn't think they'd be fighting for the worst team in the NFL title, but they could be, especially if that offense, as we saw in the second half, not put up any points at all. If that offense can't even put up garbage points, then what are they? They're horrific. So my concern is not that, ah, oh, the Eagles are smelling themselves and feeling themselves. They're going to come into this game, you know, just getting boat raced before we know it. My concern is that they're just going up against one of the best teams, especially in the trenches, that they'll face all year. And this is a really 180 from dominating a football team to having to go out there and play super sharp just to stay in a football game. I don't care that this game's in Philadelphia. San Fran comes to town with an offensive line, a defensive line, and Atlanta had none of that. So what is your biggest concern? Is it the Niners' defensive line, or is it their offensive line being able to push the ball and make the run game work? No, it's the latter, Levin. I think for me it's more so about just the Eagles' defensive line. Again, last week is an anomaly from what we saw just as a whole last year, especially when it comes to running the football. And I know, hey, Raheem Mostert is out, but the reality is, is that it doesn't matter at this point. We know that Kyle Shanahan is going to come with some sort of scheme to take advantage of a run defense, especially a run line that gave up. They were in the bottom third tier last year as far as giving up rushing yards. So that's my concern is, is this D-line that looked all world against Atlanta and Mike Davis going to be pushed around by a really legit offensive line? And then you know, you guys both know this, if you can move the ball on the ground consistently, if you can dominate on the ground consistently, that's going to open up so much in the air. And it doesn't have to be 50 yards down the field to Devo Samuel. It can be just consistently peppering that middle short field. So that's the concern, is the offensive line having its way with the Eagles' defensive line, because if that's the case, there's no way Jalen Hurts and company can compensate for that. Well, that's clearly the path to victory for the Niners. Run the ball, run it effectively, then use Garoppolo on the play action passes and sort of the misdirection plays, the Jimmy Gimmies, as I like to call them. <laughs> it worked well for the 49ers in week one. What is the path to victory for the Eagles? Well, I think it's doing exactly what they did against Atlanta with the assumption that the Fal the 49ers defense will do something similar to what the Falcons do, is just keep everything in front of them. I mean, if I'm the Falcons, or pardon me, I keep getting this. If I'm the Niners, right, and I see tape of what everything that went wrong for the Falcons on defense last week, I'm thinking to myself, the scheme was there. They just stink. 
Like the action, right? <laughs> Everything was there. You want to keep Jalen Hurts in front of you. You want to keep Miles Sanders in front of you. Devontae Smith, you want to keep speed guys in front of you and trust that you have people that can make tackles. Atlanta doesn't have anybody that can make tackles. I think every single time a Philadelphia Eagles ball carrier had the football in their hand, including Jalen Hurts, they broke at least the first tackle. And I don't even think I'm being hyperbolic in that. It was just ridiculous how bad they were. So the key to success, I think, is to lull, is to try and, and just do what you can do and take what the 49ers defense is giving you and knowing, and this is difficult, especially for a first-year head coach, guys, but knowing when that moment is to be ahead of the curve and knowing when you can catch that Niners defense a little soft, and maybe it's Jalen Rager, maybe it's Devontae Smith, heck, maybe it's Dallas Goddard deep middle, but that's when you catch on a really big play, a strike like that, lulling into a couple of times throughout the game and knowing and picking your spot. That's the key to success because Jalen Hurts is going to run. It doesn't matter how good the offensive line or poorly the offensive line is playing. He's going to be out there. So that's a given. So let me ask you, how would you attack starting out? Because there's two different avenues. You have the ability to go against the Niners DBs, which their cornerbacks are in shambles right now with Verrett gone and Mosley didn't practice today. He is expected to probably play, but he's probably not going to be 100%. You're going to have a lot of experience on the other side. So one avenue is to go and attack them right away passing, but then you have the other avenue that the Niners were not very good against the run, <laughs> and you could start out running to give your team a little bit of you know uh, time of possession to try to tire out that defensive line. So I think, to your point, what Nick Sirianni and company are going to do is rely heavy on the RPOs and try and make a decision and leave it up to Jalen Hurts, but at the same time, really slim down the play calling and the risk taking. I don't think you'll see Devontae Smith down the field 20, 25 yards consistently in the first half just to try and, and take advantage of man down for the Niners secondary. I think what you'll see is getting the ball out super fast or running design runs for Hertz or getting in the hands of Miles Sanders. But the RPO, I think, allows everything in front of Jalen Hurts for him to control, but also get the ball out fast to Miles Sanders. Kenny Gainwell out of the backfield. Goddard, Zach Ertz is another guy to keep an eye on. And look, Devontae Smith is going to catch the ball in space like Jalen Rager in space, Quez Watkins in space. These quick screens get the ball out fast. That's how I think they're going to attack at first. And then it's a matter of what opens up. And, and we'll see. I mean, look, they may not be able to adjust. And the Niners may be able to keep everything in front of them, make tackles, not allow big plays off of quick screens. But, yeah, I think to your point, Sirianni comes out and says, we're going to, we're not going to force Jalen Hurts to make deep plays and take deep, big risks. And at the same time, he still has control over the offense with the RPOs. And that probably keeps him out of the crosshairs of D Ford and Nick Bosa as well a little bit if he's That's getting rid problem. of the ball early. <laughs> if my worry, and really a lot of Niner fans always worry with Jimmy Garoppolo, if they get down multiple scores, that's when you really clench up a little bit because you're nervous that he's not going to be able to put the game on his shoulders and lead the team back. I'm going to flip it around on you. If the Niners are up 10 on Jalen Hurts, are you confident that they can still fight back in the ballgame? Or do you not know yet because he hasn't played so much? I think Jalen Hurts, well, okay, he hasn't played enough for me to say that he has this super long resume, but 
He's thrown for over 300 yards a bunch, especially in whatever you would call that offense that he played in last year after <laughs> Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson just single-handedly, the two of them together, destroyed it. But he has the ability to throw, and it's not just from college. We've seen it in the pros now in the NFL last year. Nick Sirianni is not going to ask him stats to throw the ball 50, 60 times in a game. Yeah. But what I think is underutilized and really it just didn't happen much at all last week because the Falcons didn't put any pressure on him. But even in those small amounts of pressure that he saw, he was able to throw the ball and get the ball out. So I'm not concerned if Jalen hurts, if it turns into, Hey, Jalen hurts has to get you 320 off of 45 completions. It's not ideal. And I don't set out hoping for that. But I don't think the game's lost by any means. And he's got an arm. It's just I don't want him doing that play after play after play. I'd rather it be circumstantial like, hey, if you don't start opening up the field right now with eight minutes to go in the third, down 14 points, this game's over. Yeah. So I'm curious to get an outside perspective on this. Let's say, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's in the game. He gets subbed out for Trey Lance. You as a fan of the other team – are you scared with that proposition or are you excited because the rookie's in and he's probably just going to run anyways? So as a better, and I never claim that I do this well or even properly or accurately and somebody who plays DFS and all these other things that we do to add on to just enjoying the game. Variance is huge, right? The unknown is huge from poker to fantasy sports. It doesn't matter. So the fact that, and look, Jalen Hurts took full advantage of that last year for a little bit. In And this year as well. I mean, it's like the Atlanta Falcons had no idea who Jalen Hurts even was <laughs> if you look at the result of that game week one. So to answer your question, I would much rather have what the defense already knows, which is Jimmy Garoppolo. And it doesn't even need to be full Jimmy Gimmies as much as it is just you have what you already know. Trey Lance can move. Trey Lance can throw the football. There are probably things that Trey Lance has done in a practice or even a preseason game that the Eagles aren't even thinking about or looking at. It's that unknown that I don't want to take a shot on on a football game. Like this is a game where one bad bounce or one look over to your right when you should be looking straight kills you. And that's the difference of winning or losing a game. So, no, no, emphatically, I would much rather have Jimmy Garoppolo right now just because of the known versus the unknown. My one worry, not one, but my main worry when the Niners are on offense is I worry about Mike McGlinchey and I worry about that Eagles defensive line putting pressure on Garoppolo because the Eagles did it last year against the Niners. They had 15 quarterback hits. Now, I know Jimmy didn't play in that game, but it's basically the same offensive lineman. Do you think Philly is going to be able to put pressure on Garoppolo, which he basically saw none of last week? Yeah, we've gone from Jim Schwartz, who just did not have blitz in his vocabulary, to Jonathan Gannon, who called a masterpiece last week. Again, against the Falcons, who have skilled guys on offense, especially mm -hmm. when they're down and you know what's going to happen. I would anticipate a lot of blitzing. And look, it's going to be, you're going to get beat on single coverage a lot. And it might be Ayuk, it, it might be Samuel, it's probably going to be George Kittle, even though he won't be single covered. That's that's the risk you take. But I think Jonathan Gannon realizes, and look, I, I agree with it. I'd much rather take my chances being up a man on a pass rush than have two guys cover George Kittle, which is still impossible, or have one-on-one -on -one coverage with Brandon Ayuk 
and that being Nelson, you know, not Darius Slay, I'd much rather take my chances adding an extra pass rusher as opposed to having to deal with just straight up or even double coverage on Kittle and to a lesser extent, Samuel. So who scares you more with the ball in their hands, Debo Samuel or George Kittle? Is it close at all? Yeah, see, it's different, right? So I, I think if you just look at volume and you just look at a guy when it's all said and done, who's just, you look over and you think, how did that even happen? How did this guy at 15, you know, catches for a buck 30, two touchdowns? That's George Kittle. Like he should be able to do a lot against this Eagles defense, especially in that middle of the field. So he's the one that I would look at as the biggest threat across the board, also because of just how versatile he is and how just insanely innovative your head coach is to have the same play look 50 different ways every single game. Like, it's amazing. Nobody, I, I haven't seen anybody do something like that. So Kittle is the guy, but here's the thing. And I thought this was going to be Russell Gage last week, who just didn't even show up. But there are going to be moments in this game where it's either Ayuk or Samuel, where it's going to be one-on-one -on -one coverage. There's going to be nobody behind them. And all it will take is a half a step. Debo Samuel can kill you in that sense. So Samuel's the guy where it's like, hey, just keep an eye on him the entire time, no matter what. Whereas Kittle's like, dude, you can have six sets of eyes on him and it won't matter. He's going to kill you. Give me the temperature of Philly a little bit in terms of just what kind of environment the 49ers are walking into. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to go in Detroit. You're up 31 to 10 at halftime. It's a ghost town at that point. I think it's going to be a pretty hostile environment for Garoppolo, especially coming off the big win last week. Like scale of one to 10, where do you put Philly at in terms of how jacked up they're going to be? A thousand. They haven't <laughs> been in the stands. It's it's been a full season. This is the home opener with a yeah. full stadium back. It just so happens to be your team here. Look, I think that the Philadelphia Eagles fans will be so blacked out either from liquor or passion, one of the two, <laughs> if not both, that they probably won't even know who they're playing at time. It's just like, oh my God, I get to be back here. It's going to be super loud. It's going to be super aggressive. It's going to be insane as far as all of that is concerned. But I'll leave, I'll just remind you about this, about my city here and about my fellow fans and about as crazy and as wild and rabid as we are. You come out and you get up, that place will be quiet. It will, you may hear booze. See, that's the difference, right? A lot of times you go out in a place and you take the crowd out. Oh, you hear the announcer. They really took the energy out of this, this energy. Was it the wind out of their sails, out of the crowd sails? You hear a lot of that. on the Philly, as crazy as it can be and work against you as a visiting team if you're down, if you're up, that crowd, you don't take the crowd out. You turn the crowd. <laughs> it's like in Rocky Four, and I hate, can't believe I'm even making a Rocky reference here, of course, just as <laughs> cliche as it can be. But, you know, it's like turning the crowd against the home team. And that will happen. If the Niners are up 17-3 in the second quarter, you don't have to worry about how crazy a rabbit or anything. You just sit back and look and laugh at them booing the Eagles because that's, that's exactly what would happen. Can I just, before you ask your question, Levin, I'm sorry. Can you explain to me how all the peasants in Russia and Rocky Four somehow got tickets to the fight of the century? Like, how did that happen? I knew it was a mistake opening up that door. I despise <laughs> that, that movie. I despise the fact that we have a statue 
of Rocky here in this city. It, it, trust me, it, it's a completely different show, a completely different. How much time do you have? We'll go through the whole <laughs> thing about it. No, the fact that that Rocky, like we had Stallone at games and stuff. I mean, it's it's enough. Enough is enough. And no, I have no idea. There are a lot of inaccuracies in that movie, that being one of them. All right. I got I got to ask, did you see what McGlinchey did? Uh, in terms of the Philly cheesesteaks, getting a hundred of them for his teammates brought down uh, so that they can eat them. And do you have any opinion on him choosing D'Alessandro's? Well, I'll say this. I did not see the actual story, although thank you, because I get to bring this up on a couple of my shows tomorrow. So I'm definitely going to credit you and the show here for bringing <laughs> that to my attention. D'Alessandro's is a legit spot. Like that is a local spot. That's a spot where, People will drive to that's a spot that people will fight about. You know, you'll see on like one of these sites here, a local idiot stab somebody else <laughs> over a cheesesteak <laughs> argument like that. They're fighting about Delisandro's. It's not Pat's or Gino's or even Jim's, these other just tourist spots. So I got to give McGlinchey a ton of credit because he did it right. And he got one of the true core spots. It's in Roxborough. It's right in like the city limits, but kind of, outside downtown and it is as legit and og of a cheesesteak spot as you can get so yeah hats off that he at least everybody's eating right i know that as far as that cheesesteak is concerned he's a philly guy mcglinchey he went to high school in philly so maybe you know he had a little knowledge there well that's the thing and i'm, I'm trying to think do you remember where he went to high school because I think he's not too far. All right, I have it. I'll, I'll have it here. In he went to William Penn Charter. William Penn Charter, right? So that's not far from where, like, Delisandro's. It's just, it's not far at all from a couple of really like big cheesesteak spots. So it would make sense that, and I say this as a fellow big man. You know, not as big as him, but you know, in areas of my body, unfortunately, like <laughs> midsection guy that it doesn't matter if you're in college, high school, if you're working, like that's the one thing you sniff out right away in Philly is, all right, where, where do I get the legit cheesesteak? So yeah, shame on me for not making that connection that he's here. But yeah, the fact that he got the hundred is, is beyond legit. Well, Aton, we appreciate the time. Thank you very much for taking us uh, behind enemy lines, so to speak. You know him from Bleeding Green Nation, the post-game show, also the middle show on YouTube. Thank you. Uh, good to see you again. And hopefully we can have you back. Anytime, fellas. Happy to. Appreciate it. Levin, defensively is my biggest worry, as I said, with him in this game. I thought the Niners' defense looked really good in week one, but Jared Goff tends to do that to opposing defenses. How do you think they're going to look in week two, and how do you think they're going to deal with Jalen Hurts? It's a difficult situation. It's one that I will be very curious to see how D'Amico Ryan's treats a mobile quarterback because we know how Robert Sala did. And that was pretty much ignoring the fact that he could be mobile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That, that's what it was. It, Robert Sala was going to run his defense because he thought it was the most effective way to do it. And if the mobile quarterback gets away from it, then he gets away from it. Problem is, is mobile quarterbacks can get away from it, especially when it's somebody like Kyler Murray, who's about as elusive as it comes. And, you know, Arizona tormented the 49ers in that manner. And Jalen Hurts is pretty darn close to that athletic. He's not as quick, but I think I think he's faster. I think he, he has very good top end. He's a bigger quarterback. Um, so that worries me. And unless D'Amico Ryan says something up his sleeves, 
I don't know that there's much you can do to limit him. Because the problem is, is I don't think the 49ers can use their safeties to help. I don't think they can have the safeties cheat up because you can't trust the cornerbacks with, no. the, with Barrett out. You can't trust them. The safeties are going to have to be too deep all the time in order to protect against those inexperienced DBs that are going to be out there. And so it's really going to be up to the edges, one holding the edge and forcing Hurts up the middle where you have the linebackers waiting. And that that's what it really is going to come down to. Boza, Ford, uh, Ibukum, they're going to have to be disciplined and not crash so hard yep. that Hurts can go right by them and get the outside. And they seem to always consistently crash. It's very frustrating to watch. Hopefully it's different. Um, in terms of predictions for the game, I could easily see the Eagles winning 100%. I really do have confidence in this offense, though. I think the 49ers are going to be among the top offenses in the league. So that gives me a little bit of hope. It might come down to who gets the ball last. I will take the 49ers. I'm trying to think of a good score here. How about 20, 31 to 24? Well, what am I known for in this show? No homerism here. Oh, no, you're picking the Eagles. It's a one o'clock game on the East Coast. It is stacked up for the Niners to lose. It is a mobile quarterback like we just talked about. It is not a good matchup, not not a good time to play it, you know, on the road against an atmosphere that is tough. Now, it is true that if the Niners can jump out at the gate, the, the Philly crowd might turn and start booing their own <laughs> team. But I don't see that happening. I think it will be a close game. I think it's a game that's going to come down in the fourth quarter. Could I see the Niners winning? Yes, but I don't think I'm giving the edge to the home team that has the mobile quarterback that we know this defense struggles with. And I'm going to say 27 to 23, the Eagles end up winning. And the Eagles did beat us last year, which granted there was no Garoppolo, but they won 25-20 last year. There's no Bosa in that game either. Yeah, but there was a Carson Wentz, so it all equals out. (laughs) I rewatched that game today. Like, I don't know why I did that because it just pissed me off. Like, I was just in a bad mood after that. I'm still mad about that game. There's no way they should have lost it. Nick Mullins throws throws an interception, a pick six to a linebacker. Like, after the game, the guy was like, he literally just threw it right to me. Like, <laughs> I'm still mad about it. But, all right, so I have the Niners at 2-0. and You have the Niners going at 1-1. and want to thank everybody again for listening. If you haven't done so yet, hopefully we've earned it. Follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Subscribe, whatever you need to do. Mash that button. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. We really do appreciate it. And we will talk to you. Go Niners next week.